the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Hi, everybody. Ron Geyer back with more End Time Insights. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it very, very much. As you know, we are teaching from the book of Revelation, the seven churches, such important information. If I were king of the jungle, if I were pastor of a church, I would be teaching this right from the get-go. I mean, salvation message, and then I'm going in there. What Jesus says to the churches, it is so relevant. It is so important to what the church needs to hear today. The good stuff that we're doing, we need to be congratulated by it, like Jesus always does. The corrections that we need. I was going to say this for later, but I'm going to say it now because it's so important. I may have even said it last week. The early church, its inception, uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit, and then they started adding people to the church. And uh, during the early days of Pentecost, when people were being added to the church, People weren't coming in willy-nilly. I mean, they understood. If I become a Christian, it may cost me my life. It'll probably cost me my job and my my living. But they came into the church, and they didn't come in uh, not aware of the price that was required of them. So the people that came in that got saved back in the early days of the church, they were serious about their Christianity. Also, in addition to that, We had judgment within the church. You remember Paul and Corinthians? We had judgment within the church. So we had very good, strong Christians back then. We had Christians that were pure from the inside through judgment, and we had Christians that were coming into the body of Christ uh, that were serious about it. We don't have that today, especially in America. We are just so casual about our Christianity. We're casual about our relationship with the Lord. And I don't know why I remembered that. I forget what I was talking about that brought me to that point. But it was just the higher standard, the higher character of the Christians. They were suffering persecution on the outside. That kept the church pure. And then they were suffering being judged on the inside by one another to make sure that they lived what they were taught. And so we had a very holy Christian back in those days. We had a very sincere, a very serious-minded Christian back then. Boy, I wish we could get back to that place again. We might see the move of God then. Anyway, to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. I'll read all seven of them. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, he that shutteth and no man openeth. Verse 8, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. Behold, that means, wow, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. 
Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Verse 11. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man may take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Father, I thank you for blessing the reading of your word. Open thou thy eyes that we would behold wondrous things out of your law. Father God, the entrance of your word giveth light. So shall your word be which go forth in the earth. It will prosper into the thing whereto I send it. It will not return unto me void, Father. Good news. God's word is prospering in you even as we speak. I need to give you a history of Philadelphia because what's going on here, there's a lot of stuff in here that you don't understand about the open doors, about the Jews, about the synagogue of Satan, about the pillar. And if you understand what's going on in the city of Philadelphia, geographically, um, weather-wise, culturally, you'll have a better understanding of the scripture. So just like Sardis, the history of the city of Philadelphia, it plays an important role in Christ's message to the church at Philadelphia. Philadelphia was a city. It was built for the express purpose of promoting the Greek culture and advancing it into Eastern Asia. Philadelphia was situated in an ideal spot geographically just to do this. It was one of the greatest trade routes in the world because it linked Europe to Asia, Eastern Asia. It was designed by the King Attalus, Attalus, for a twofold purpose. First, for the commerce that it could bring in through that open road, and second, as a missionary city to export the Greek culture. And the Greek culture, the Greek language, it went throughout all of Asia through the city of Philadelphia. Philadelphia, it was the youngest, the newest of the seven cities. It was founded by colonists from Pergamus, Pergamum, under the reign of Attalus, Attalus II, who ruled in Pergamum from 159 to 138 BC. Philadelphia is the Greek for one who loves his brother. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Such was the love of Attalus for his brother Eumenes, E-U-M-E-N-E-S. Attalus was the brother. He ruled in Pergamum, and he had a brother, Eumenes, I think that's how you say it. And he was called Philadelphos, and it was after him that Philadelphia was named So much so was the Greek influence in Philadelphia. It was actually called Little Athens. It had beautiful temples and government buildings, as well as mineral hot springs where people came to bathe in its medicinal waters. To walk through the temple-scattered streets was to be reminded of Athens, the center of worship of the Olympian gods. There were vineyards as well, so much so that its chief agricultural business was growing grapes and making wine. The city itself, it was dedicated to the god of wine, pleasure, and merriment, the god named Dionysus. Geographically, we said it was situated on the edge of a great plain. Uh, When translated from the Greek, it means the burned land. Specifically, that land was the site of the former volcanic action, and it bore the marks of the volcanic ash and the lava flows. Uh, The good news is that that actually made it a very fertile land area for the growing of grapes, and it was very fertile. The flip side was that the land was still quite active, and in A.D. 17, there was a huge earthquake, which destroyed the city of Sardis and 10 other cities as well. 
But in Philadelphia, the tremors and the aftershocks went on for years and years, so much so that the people who lived in the city of Philadelphia, they would flee. They would have to leave the city because of the mortar and the brick and the stone falling down through these earthquakes and through these tremors that constantly visited the city of Philadelphia. The falling masonry from these buildings created a dangerous environment for those who lived in the city. So many had no choice. They had to go outside the city. They actually built some temporary huts or dwellers for them. Today, only Smyrna and Philadelphia remain as bastions of the Christian faith. The other five churches, which are spoken about in Revelation 2 and 3, they've been destroyed and they are only ruins. So let's get started. Verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, and he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shuts, and he that shuts and no man openeth. Even though God is love, even though he is the supernatural epitome of love, he is also holy and he is also true. If we would give so much attention on the holiness, those two aspects, holiness and truth that we do on the love of God, we would paint a more accurate picture, not only of the God who loves us, but also of the God who makes demands upon us and the God who demands truth in our inward parts. By only preaching this love, and unfortunately it's a counterfeit love that's being preached in our churches today, but by only focusing on the love, we have allowed the world to redefine what that looks like. We've left out the truth. We've left out the holiness. And the world has jumped right in that void, and they've given us their their type of love, what God looks like. And it's carnal, it's sensual, it's earthly, it's devilish. Basically, according to Romans 1, we are worshiping the creation more than the creator. We have redefined God. God has made man in his image. Well, man has redefined God and made him in his own fallen image. They have made God according to their carnal understanding. The result is... The creation of God who looks more like man than the God who is holy and true. It's very important. Humanism has crept into our churches through the pulpits, through false preaching, through false teaching. We fall for it every time. It just goes to show that the church is carnal. We must fix that. Here, listen to this. The Greek word for holy is hagios, H-A-G-I-O-S. Guess what the Greek word for saint is? It's hagios. It's the same word. Saints are to be holy. Of great revelation is that this word is the same for both holy and saint in the New Testament. Isaiah 6, 3. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. When God says something once, he wants you to understand it. When he repeats it a second time, that means it's of high importance. When he says it a third time, that means you had better get it right. God is holy. Jesus is holy. His spirit is holy. And so, too, had you better be holy. Or, as Hebrews twelve four says, follow peace with all men and holiness. Follow holiness without which no man shall see God. We tend to take that scripture and think of it as a future promise. Without holiness, no man shall see God. But I got news for you. That's a scripture that is applicable for us today. This isn't just speaking about heaven. This is for us all the time. It's for everyone all the time. Without holiness, we won't see the Lord. We won't see the Lord, A, 
We won't see the Lord in the Word when we open up the Word of God. The book of Revelation. What is the book of Revelation? It's the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the revelation by Jesus Christ. It's the revelation about the Lord Jesus Christ. When you open up the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ is being revealed to us. But if you are not holy, you are not going to see the Lord. So we ought to see the Lord in the Word. We need holiness and we need to be living holy to see God in the word. Number two, we need to be living holy to see God in others. You know, basically we will be blind to his presence. We need to see God in the word. We need to see the Lord in the word. We need to see the Lord in others. And the sorriest part of it, if we are not living holy, we will not see God in ourselves. Understand this holiness without which none shall see God. He's not only holy, but he's also true. Let's see, what did I write here? The Greek word for true is alethinos. There are two words for true in the Greek. One means true, differentiating a false statement from a true statement. That's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here is true, is alethinos, and it means real or genuine. The point being, Jesus simply is reality. He is the truth. John sixteen thirteen. How be it, or but, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. You know, I find it interesting. Number one, he sent the Spirit of truth, right? Jesus said, I'm going to send you a comforter. He's going to be the Spirit of truth. He will lead you and guide you into all truth. Then he also calls him the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, if God is love, and he is, why didn't he call him the loving spirit? Or why didn't he even call him the mercy spirit? You know, the loving spirit, the mercy, the grace spirit. No, he calls him the Holy Spirit. He wants you to get it. He wants us holy. The spirit that Jesus sends us, he must be true. If it comes from Christ, it has to be holy and it has to be true. If it comes from Christ, it has to be holy and it has to be true. You must be holy and you must be true. If it isn't both, then it isn't from Christ. Did you get that? The spirit that Jesus sends us, He has to be holy and he has to be true. You have to be holy and you have to be true. If it isn't both, then it doesn't belong to Christ. This is the starting point for the discernment of the church. If the church doesn't have holiness, if the church doesn't have truth, we are unable to discern. We don't know the difference between right and wrong. We miss out on that. We miss seeing God, the revelation of God. The third aspect of Christ's revelation here of himself to us is He has the key of David. Let me read it again. And to the angel in the church at Philadelphia, right? These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, and the third revelation as he reveals himself to us, he that hath the key of David. And this is interesting. That's Jewish, of course, the key of David. The house of David will, Isaiah 22, 22. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder, so he shall open, and none shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. Now, this is a picture of authority, and actually, in Isaiah twenty-two, twenty-two, they're not talking about Jesus, although they are talking about Eliakim. But Eliakim was the high servant in the castle or the house of David, or a picture of the Messiah, a picture of the authority of Jesus Christ. Because Eliakim is the Lord's servant, the Lord will give him great authority. In that day, the chief royal steward of that castle, the house, the temple, wherever it was that the king dwelt, he would have a large master key of the palace. That's the word I'm looking for, of the palace. 
fastened to the shoulder of his tunic. The key was a picture and a demonstration of the authority of that chief steward. Here the Lord gives Eliakim the authority to open and shut as the Lord's representative, which no man can oppose. He had the key. He could open up every door. He could open up the door where the holy vessels were kept. He could open up the door where the money was stashed. He could open up the door that had the armory. He could open up the door where the foodstuffs were kept. He had the key. He could open it. He was the only one who could open it. You had to go to him to get him to open the doors in the palaces. In this, Eliakim becomes a prophecy of the Messiah because Jesus told us that this passage actually spoke of himself. The Lord Jesus has lots of keys, right? Matthew sixteen nineteen, And I will give unto thee, the church, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Hallelujah. Luke eleven fifty two. Woe unto you, lawyers. For you have taken away the key of knowledge. The Amplified reads it like this. Woe to you, lawyers, because you have taken away the key to the knowledge, the scriptural truth. You yourselves did not enter, and you held back those who were entering by your flawed interpretation of God's word and your man-made tradition. Unfortunately, we are revisiting this type of leadership in our churches. We've got people ministering that don't know the word, don't know their God, don't know the truth of the word. They've got flawed interpretation of scripture and they promote man-made traditions. You know, we are seeing this again with today's modern church leaders. I'm seeing Christian leaders, good-hearted men, good-hearted folks, but they don't understand God's word. This is key. So they will use their own reasoning to figure out God. They don't understand how a good God, I was listening to a teaching the other day. Who was it? This one was John MacArthur. He was teaching on suffering and evil. And how can we reconcile a God of love with that? You know, and I get it. Okay. But I also know the word. I know my God. People, leaders, they don't understand God's word. So what they do is they use their own reasoning to figure out God. And they say, well, God's just not sovereign. Whoa. You know what I mean? When the Bible says God's sovereign and then you come out with your reasoning because you don't understand how there could be good things going on and bad things at the same time. How could God allow evil? How could God allow this thing to happen? And I get your concern. But if you go to the word, those words that your questions will be answered. But when we substitute our own reasoning for issues like that, suffering, how does God let people suffer? God's love. God doesn't want anybody to suffer. Well, you need to read the word of God because God receives honor and glory in everything. Understand these truths. Number one, evil is here. There's evil in the earth. It's here. Number two, God is sovereign. You put those two together and then you must come to the conclusion that, well, then God allows evil to exist, which is true. Evil doesn't come from God, but God allows evil to exist. But when you start reinventing God because you don't understand that, what happens is then that's called humanism. Humanism comes into our churches. It comes into our pulpits. We start teaching from our reasoning. That's the spirit of humanism. And it just leads us down a rabbit trail where we are recreating God, we are lessening the power of God, we are insulting God, we are arrogant, and we're creating people that are following these false doctrines, and we're doing a huge disservice to the church. That's what the apostasy has. It's got false teaching, it's got heretical doctrines, we need to be careful about that. 
Where am I? I get drifting on this stuff because it's so important to me. You know, the word of God, I'm big on truth, man. I am big on truth. There is no flip side of the coin to truth. It is either truth. There's no gray areas. I am the Lord. The Bible says, I am he which liveth and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. There is no other side of that coin. When God says something, that's it. There was a bumper sticker when I got saved. It was, let's see. Uh, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Well, yes and no. God said it, yes. That settles it, yes. He doesn't need you to believe it to make it true. Amen? So, Revelation 3, 7, These things saith he that is holy, that is true, that has the key of David. And this key of David, it's talking about the control over the Jews. You know, God is the king of the Jews. The Jewish children were the children of God before the church was ever the church of God. And so it's important that we understand that he is holy, he is true, and he has the key of David. He has control over the Jews. Don't worry about it, Jewish people. I got you here. Remember, most of the church in these days was Jewish people. That's why the Jews followed them from city to city to persecute them because they were losing their people. The church was growing, and the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, they were envious, they were jealous, they were evil. Remember, the Bible says, for envy... Christ was crucified. He was killed because of the envy of the Jews. It was important to the Christians here in Philadelphia that all of the keys that if Jesus could have mentioned, he chose to mention the key of David. That was because most Christians during this time were converted Jews, and it was usually the Jews who stirred up the pagans and their pagan government to persecute the church, which was largely made up of Jews. By saying that he alone had the key of David, He showed the Jews that he was in charge of the real Israel, the true Jew. The reference by Jesus to open and shut doors goes back to the fact that because of all the tremors in the city, the people who lived there were constantly having to get out of the city to a place of refuge during the times of the earthquakes, during the time of the tremors and the aftershocks. They had to get out of the city. It wasn't safe for them to stay there during the times of these physical upheavals in the earth. Jesus tells the church that I'm going to give you a place of permanence. No earthquake, no man, no persecution will ever force you to move out again unless I open that door. And once I shut a door, no man will be able to open it. That references the fact that Jesus says it again. Where did my scripture go? I am the angel of the church in Philadelphia. These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, no man shuts, and he that shuts, and no man openeth. That's what Jesus is telling them here when he says that. The key of the house of David I will lay upon his shoulder. And that's where Eliakim had held the key. It was attached to his tunic. It was attached on his shoulder, fastened to his tunic. And it was a picture. It was a demonstration of the authority of the chief steward. Here, the Lord gives Eliakim the authority to open and shut as the Lord's representative. Very important. So Barclay writes, an old-time commentator, Barclay, not all that old, but I appreciate him. This meaning concerning the key of David is particularly appropriate for Philadelphia. We have seen how it was a border town standing where the boundaries of Lydia, Mysia, and Phrygia met, and it was founded on the missionary of Greek language and culture to the barbarous peoples beyond. It was on the road of the Imperial Postal Service, which left the coast at Troas, came to Philadelphia via Pergamum, Thyatira, and Sardis, and joined the Great Road out east to Phrygia. 
the armies of Caesar, they traveled that road. The caravans of the merchantmen traveled it. And now it was an opportunity for the church. It was beckoning the missionaries of Christ. You know, God doesn't waste anything. It was built for the purpose of exporting the Greek culture to Asia. But now Jesus is saying, I've got an open door for you. I've got the opportunity for the church to go out there and use Philadelphia as a jumping off point as a way station, as it were, as a depot whereby Christianity could be exported to the East Asia. It was just so wonderful. I love it. Verse 8, I know thy works, and behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut that door. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. And I love it here because we always thought the Church of Philadelphia, and it is, it was called the Church of Brotherly Love, which is nice, But to me, this church was the church of opportunity. Jesus says it right there. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and you have kept my word, and you've not denied my name. So once again, we're going to see that the works that God gives us, when we succeed in them, when we succeed in doing the works that God gives us, you know what our reward is? In the kingdom of heaven, our reward is... It's more works to do. God trusts us, and so we get more to do it. And for me, I love working, so it's right up my alley. I'm out of time. This is the fastest one I've ever done. I am shocked. I feel like I just sat here. Well, praise the Lord. We love you guys. I hope this is edifying you, building you up, uh, opening your eyes to the challenges that the churches had back then and the victories that they had. And we had those same challenges, and I want you to know we can have those same victories. I'm Ron Guy. We'll see you next week. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net.